One of the greatest lessons I've learned in business is it all comes down to what the value you can bring to the other side of the table. If you're able to bring significant value, people will stop and turn around and say, hey, I want to work with you. Our guests today are bringing the value. So much so that VCs are reaching out to them to want to work with them. Our guests today work in the crowdfunding space. Their story is quite amazing. And on today's episode, we get to learn about their story. We get to learn how they met and how they are bringing value to the crowdfunding space and the investment space overall. If you are an entrepreneur or an investor, this is an episode that you want to listen to. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to Black Equity Podcast featuring Crowd Wall Street. back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. And we have been wanting to have this conversation, what, man, about a month or two now? We've been been talking yeah. and trying to get this yeah. together. And so I'm excited about this, um, this conversation because when we're talking about funding for businesses and we're talking about uh, having the necessary capital or the necessary resources, uh, we have to talk about crowdfunding. We have to. We have to at least have that conversation because to me, it's a very foundational, like matter of fact, I just saw a company the other day uh, has raised over a million, $2 million through their crowdfunding. And so there's a, there's a, a company that is joining us today that is going to give us some insight, not only into uh, their company, but just the crowdfunding space in general. So we can truly understand what's going on. Uh, so we have a uh, crowd uh, wall street, uh, with us today. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on Black Equity Podcast. TL and Jamski, welcome to Black Equity. Uh, thanks for having thanks, us, man. Thanks for having me. For those who don't know who you are, TL, you can start. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how this all came about. Well, uh, it's interesting. I got a, I got an interesting background. Um, we'll make it short. But uh, my background, you know, I, I, I haven't, I wasn't born into a family business or entrepreneurship background, anything to that nature. Um, my Ashby was uh, a detention officer working in a prison for about 10 years. And uh, a friend of mine came to me and, and talked about insurance. And I'm like, insurance? We're like, yeah, man, they make good money. I'm like, I don't know how to sell. I'm like, <laughs> to sell insurance. Right. So, you know, I thought more into it. And then, you know, Fast forward, I end up taking the, the, the class to get my license, and he, he never took the class, never got a license. I'm the one that, that got it. And so I end up um, working for an insurance company, and I was just exposed to another life. Like, there's life outside of a nine-to-five job. Mm-hmm. And that really what started my entrepreneurship, because now I start tapping into different um, ventures as far as, you know, MLM companies, um, business finance, doing business loans. And I started a couple of my own companies from a security school to a nonprofit to a clothing line. And, you know, I think what really grabbed my attention is when I really got into the business finance and doing loans for small businesses and looking at bank statements and looking at financial statements and talking to business owners, you know, I realized there's a, there's a problem there. And a lot of times these, these business owners don't really have the, the business acumen or a knowledge of understanding on how to really run their business. So I'm like, you know, I felt that there was a need there, especially in the black community. So that's when I launched my, my business consulting um, business and, and started working there. Um, and then, you know, of course, reading, you know, networking and talking with people, um, I started tapping into the capital raising and I was inspired to be a venture capitalist because I realized there is not that many uh, black owned venture capital firms out there is really dominated by white males. 
So when you do research and realize, you know, you have a lot of black founders that's looking to raise capital for their startups and for their business, it's difficult for them, number one, to go to banks because they don't have the proper credit. They don't have the proper documentations or financial statements or revenue to get approved for loans. And if you do get approved for a loan, it's not really what um, you need. You might need 50,000, but you might get approved for $10,000. And then you try to go to investors, which is you know dominant, dominant by, by white males. You already know how that story goes. So I felt there was a need for more black VCs to, to occupy that space, to be able to be in a position to write checks. And that's how me and Jamskin end up meeting on LinkedIn because when I was venturing out to, to start my own VC firm, he was in the process of starting his own private equity firm. So that's how me and him got connected and started talking. And then before you know it, crowdfunding came in the, in the picture. So it was like, hey, we can, take, we can take advantage of this opportunity because we feel like it's an easier way for our people to raise capital versus trying to, you know, haul these wealthy investors and things of that nature. So it's like, and we came up with Crowd Wall Street because as we, you know, talk more about USCY, but we came up with Crowd Wall Street and we're here today. I love it. I love it. Uh, and, and Jamski, I also want to learn how you got to this space too. Uh, what I'm hearing is a, a VC connected with a private equity investor. This might be this might be one for the record books because a lot of times we're talking to two different worlds where they might may not be communicating with each other. And so you two come from two different worlds, but you decided to merge together. So Jamski, tell me a little bit about your background and how, how, how you led into uh, the launch of, of, of Crowd Wall Street. Oh, well, um, yeah, I'm gonna try to keep it um, short and sweet. Um, first and foremost, thanks for having us on here again. Definitely. Um, so basically my background, I grew up in a system. So I grew up in the foster care system, a uh, group home system or whatnot, since I was five. Uh, 18th birthday, um, uh, met my mom, I turned 19, and I came to California to play football, to play college football, to chase my dreams. Wasn't a straight A student, uh, barely graduated high school or whatnot. And it wasn't because I couldn't do it. It's just, I probably didn't apply myself, but it just wasn't as interested as others or whatnot. Uh, so I came to California at the age of 19, uh, went to college, junior college out here in California, played uh, played a little football. Uh, the goal was to go to the um, NFL, like every other, you know, black young, you know, youth or whatnot, because we not told of many ways or other avenues to make it out of the hood. Um, so that didn't go as well. That, that didn't go as planned. Uh, met my fiance, um, soon to be wife. And I was like, wow, you know, I was working a couple of jobs here, doing security jobs or whatnot. Just like TL, I did a lot of multi-level marketing and network marketing and all that stuff. And and it's just kind of like, it, it didn't feel authentic. Working a nine to five, you know, it's, it just don't feel, it didn't feel right. Um, and then the multi-level marketing, oh, you know, start your own business. This is like, that's not your own business. If you didn't create an LLC or you didn't buy it or acquire it, you know, so it's just like, you learn the sales skills, but it just wasn't authentic for me. Um, and then I got into my own consulting, uh, business consulting and personal finance. Um, I learned how to build my own credit. Um, and after I learned how to do it for myself, I applied those same principles into my business, how to structure and set up uh, corporations, uh, taxes, and, and um, you know, websites and things of that sort. So I have also have a consulting firm, uh, my business, HNFO Lifestyle Investments. And I was like, you know, what is the highest level of business? You know, like where, because, you know, uh, Magic Johnson got a saying it takes the same amount of time to make one million as it does to take a hundred million dollars mm -hmm. to make a hundred million dollars. Right. So I was looking and I came across Reginald Lewis and then that guy, the first guy to do a billion dollar acquisitions with Beatrice Foods or whatnot. And it was just so intriguing. So that's what I was, you know, my, my mind was stroked towards uh, private equity, not to mention rich dad, poor dad opened me up to the possibilities that's out there, uh, the four hour work week. And, you know, upon doing my search, I didn't see a lot of people like me. You go on LinkedIn and you type in private equity. Listen, <laughs> you can forget. I know. So to come across somebody like TL and to be from the same city. Remember, I moved to Miami. I'm from Kara City. I'm from Miami uh, Day. And I stay in California, Los Angeles, California. So to come across, to come across TL and him being, you know, into event in the VC space. So I have Kara City Capital, which is my, my investment firm. And he has, so it was like, it was just like a match made in heaven. I, ideologies, everything just kind of intertwined. And, and then now we got Crowd Wall Street. 
you know, uh, funding. How can, you know, you buy businesses or get percentages of businesses? And we see a lot of the billionaires are pooling funds together, you know, syndication. That's how you, you know, you get to the elite. So me and him say, um, share the same visions and, you know, Crowd Wall Street, you know, it was like, jam, I got a dope idea. Maybe we should do this, this and that. And I was game. And ever since then, me and him been rocking and rolling. I love it. And I definitely want to get into Crowd Wall Street and learning what the vision is, what the mission is, but there's something sitting there that I got to ask. <laughs> so you both come from similar areas. Did you know each other before this? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you have similar friends? Did, was yeah. there any type of, okay. So we realized we got a lot of mutual friends, but we never knew each other. We never knew each That's other. That's crazy. Yeah, he went to That's school crazy. with my family members, cousins. He, you know, he know a lot of, we go on Facebook, we got like a gazillion mutual friends, but now we never met. So my people know about him. I'm sure some of his people know about me, but we've never met officially on LinkedIn. And, and look wow. where we at. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So you come and, together, you have this idea. What exactly, for, some, for a listener who is tuned in, they're really excited to hear about this, what exactly is Crowd Wall Street? And either one of you or both of you can answer. So Crowd Wall Street is, to be honest, I was trying to think of a name. I was like, I can't use Black Wall Street because it's already used. So it's like, I want to be able to create an atmosphere because of our background and our experience and our vision. You know, when you look at Wall Street, there's, you know, you got stocks, you got options, you got ETFs, you got mutual funds, you got all these different categories and we call it the Wall Street. So I was like, how can we create a platform like Wall Street, but for our people where not only are we working with, you know, startups, but we also working with established businesses, but we also working with real estate and we also working with investment firms and things of that nature. So I came up with Crowd Wall Street because this cannot be made possible if the crowd is not participating mm -hmm. in it. So that's pretty much how yeah. we came up with the idea of Crowd Wall Street. And it's like now our vision, because we're, we're targeting minorities. We're targeting minorities, prim primarily black founders. And that's one of our goals is to fill that, that wealth gap and that gap of raising capital because we understand that, you know, the average, you know, black founder who's have this great idea that, you know, may not have the right credit, may not have the right network, may not have the right resources. And that idea was, would, would die right there because they don't know where to turn to. They can't go to the bank. They don't have a rich mom or rich dad to give them money. They don't know how to contact investors. But now if they know Crowd Wall Street is available, where we have people who's sitting back waiting to support our people, um, then that, that's, it's just a no-brainer to me. So that's pretty much how Crowd Wall Street came about. Jamsky, did you want to add anything yeah. before my next yeah. question? And, yeah, so, and, and, and you know, it's crazy because, you know, what – what me and TL are doing or what we're on the cusp of doing, um, you don't see anything like it. You know, you got a lot of people that's doing syndications for real estate, but mm. to buy business with business acquisitions, it's unheard of. Like, right. It's really unheard of. Um, and, and not even just that, you think about what me and him is doing as far as Crowd Wall Street, we're bringing Silicon Valley and we're bringing the, wall, the, the uh, we're bringing um, the, the stock market in a sense, together mm -hmm. in a sense, because you got New York over there on the East Coast, right. they got Silicon Valley, the tech game. So, it's kind of like a mini war. See, a lot of people don't understand that. It's a mini war going on. And me and him, we're bringing the best of both worlds together, right? So tech, you got a company that you want to start up from the beginning and grow it. You know, we, 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 we got you. We touched that. But then also invest in uh, bigger companies as well. So it's kind of like we, we kind of like we just, we just doing something that we've never seen nobody do in our communities uh, growing up or whatnot. So this is something that's like it's, it's major, man. It's major. And, you know, our people need the help. Our people, we just not as privileged as others. So let's go down this path because we're, we're talking about almost like a hybrid situation here, right? So if a startup comes to you and they're looking for funding, what happens next? What is the process for a startup? And then we'll get into a, a more established business and how that works. But for a startup, how will all this work for them? So... This, this is one of our biggest thing. Our biggest thing is education, right? Mm -hmm. So we understand crowdfunding as, you know, people, especially our people, we don't, we don't see, we, we see equity. We see stocks. We see, you know, we want equity and that's why we buy stocks and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So one of our things is to bring to light is understanding the reward space. So when you mention about startups, 
rewards based, which is that's what the first, we call it phase one. So our phase one is our rewards based. Phase two is we're going to launch our equity and real estate. So with phase one is our rewards offering. These, this is for, like you said, people who are inspiring to, to start a new product, a new service, a new app, a new recipe, whatever that may be. And the goal is, number one, we first, you know, we interview you, we make sure that you are right fit for us. Um, secondly, we help create a campaign. We help you pre-launch because a lot of times people, I think, have this idea where they just go on crowdfunding, you know, they create an account, they just post their business up and just sit back and the money going to start flowing in. That's not the case. It's a lot of things you have to do before you even get on the platform. Mm. So we will coach you and help you and consult you on your pre-launch on how to, you know, gain that attention, how to create, you know, a little small pitch video. If you can't explain your, 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 your business in three minutes, need to go back to the drawing board. So we coach you in that process. Now we have what's called pitch the crowd. So once we approve you on our platform, we have what's called pitch the crowd. Pitch the crowd now is what everybody see on Shark Tanks and these other, you know, YouTube videos and things where people are uh, pitching wealthy investors. So what we're doing is we're giving you the opportunity as an entrepreneur to pitch the crowd because at the end of the day, what people don't realize, not only are you pitching possible investors but you also pitch impossible customers so the feedback that you get from the crowd is not coming not 90 percent the feedback you want to get is coming from a consumer standpoint it's not really coming from an investor standpoint so it will help you business help your business in the long run because these are the people that's going to be your potential customers so the way our platform works you have your, your minimum goal you have your max goal so your minimum is let's say ten thousand dollars. Your max is fifty. Meaning, if you can hit ten thousand, that's good enough to get your product to to development, to manufacture, and whatever that may be. Um, fifty, you know, you're good to go. Now you can do more. You can do the same thing, but now you can add some more more money into you know marketing and distribution and things of that nature. Um, the 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 flip side of that, if you don't reach ten thousand dollars. You don't take the money and everybody get their money back. The good thing about it is, is it's no hard feelings. That just tells me as an entrepreneur, I need to go back to the drawing board. I need mm-hmm. to realize and see, okay, on um, what, I, what I need to change, what I need to pivot. And it's very vital that entrepreneurs understand that because a, a founder or a business owner, an entrepreneur that's willing to pivot and willing to, you know, change up and accept constructive criticism that says a lot about your character. So the way our game works and our whole vision and our whole business model is, we're looking at, our, our model is building minority businesses to scale. So one of our strategic partnership, partnerships is with VC firms. So we wanna be able to, once you launch on our program, our platform and you are successfully raised the capital, you do what you have to do for your business, we wanna be able to lead you into VC firms that's you know black owned that can help you with the follow-on rounds. Now we're teaching you how to scale your business. So that's one of the key things that, that separates us from a lot of these platforms because we're actually connecting with VC firms where now we become the hub, we become the data platform, we become the incubator mm-hmm. for our entrepreneurs. You're, you're getting these companies prepared for that next level, which is gonna be vital if they even want that next level. So. Right. You mentioned something there, TL. Uh, I'm going to come back to you on this question right here. Um, how accessible have these black VC firms been uh, to want to work with you? Easy. <laughs> Listen, man. Um, before, we, before we launched, I could tell you, me and Jansky probably have like five or six meetings a week with just VCs alone. And yeah. when we're pitching them our idea, like we're not even asking them for money, but when we're pitching them our idea and how, because the, the, the segment is because crowdfunding is growing, it's competition. Now there's not going to be no room for VCs because VCs technically, for the most case, write $25,000, $100,000 checks when you could go on a crowdfunding platform and raise $5 million or $1 million. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I could raise a million on crowd on a crowdfunding platform, what I need a twenty five thousand dollar check. The difference is the VC. Yeah, my the expertise and the resources 
to get you to that next level. Crowdfunding does not. So when we, you know, start talking to VCs and one of our, our, our goals was to figure out what are, what are their problems that they're, they're, they're facing finding their next company. And yeah. one of them is due diligence. You know, it takes time to do due diligence to find these, the right company. And then when they find that company, they have to go through all the documents and, you know, all this extra stuff versus now, if we have a platform, especially when we launch our equity platform, it's mm-hmm. easier for a VC to come on our platform and scout and everything is there. They see the campaign. They see they got traction. They got product market fit. They got social proof. They got their financial uh, documents already on the platform. They get to see our pitch to crowd. They get to see how they interact. They get to see everything. So it's just like, like me and Jazz were talking about like, like the, the hip hop industry then with, with the record labels. You know, it takes money for a record label to pay an AR to go to California or to go to New York to go scout mm-hmm. for the next big artist. So now with the internet, people coming up with apps where now you can just go on your phone and find the next artist. So this is the same way how we look at crowd watch people VC. So to answer your question, they're very receptive and they, like I said, we already getting ready to uh, strike a partnership with one VC firm right now. <laughs> so what, what does that look like? And anybody can answer, answer this. If a VC is listening to this, we just had a recent episode called Dear Black VCs and Investors. And uh, the conversation was stemming around how, for me personally, and I see that you've had a different experience, me personally, I've been able to speak with more international VCs, more international private equity investors, uh, than to be able to speak with VCs and to come on the program and talk about equitable solutions. And so one of the reasons is, well, you're solving something that exactly benefits them so it may be easier for you to have that conversation um so where i'm heading with this is what do you say to a vc who's listening to this episode what is that process going to be if they want to work with you is there some type of a fee what how does that work for a vc that wants to uh, plug into your system um i think for the most part it each, each VC firm, in most cases, have their own investment thesis. So right. they invest in particular companies that have particular revenues or particular industries. So it's just for us to be that, that funnel where we create an ecosystem where we all work together. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we discuss with the team is, you know, once we launch our equity portion, because since we're going to be cultivating these startups and helping them, you know, raise capital in our campaign, um, in return, we may get one or two percent of equity of the company. Um, but it's just a really, to be honest, no fee. It's just a matter of how can we work together for the better good to gotcha. help our, our, our minority founders to get to that next level, which, you know, which for decades has always been difficult. So that's really what it is for us is just creating that strategic partnership and creating that ecosystem where we have that that funnel, like Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley have an ecosystem. All you got to say is I went to Silicon Valley or Y Combinator and somebody going to write you a check. So we want to be that, that platform where somebody go to a VC firm and say, hey, I'm looking to raise, you know, additional 300K or whatever case may be. You know, I started off at Crowd Wall Street. They're going to be like, okay, you right. got to send them. Let me write this check. That's the right. whole idea. We want to create an right. ecosystem in that area. Yeah, and you know, you kind of, you, you can kind of compare it to like the sports uh, industry or, or whatnot, where you know you got the G League or you got high school and you got college and you got the NBA. Some players can go straight from high school to the big dogs, LeBron James, Kevin Garnett, you know, uh, Kobe. But some players got to go through the system a little bit. Some go through a little quicker than others. Some may just need, you know, one year of college and be out of there. Some may need all four years of college. But our goal is to educate our minorities because our people aren't as educated in this space. Um, so we educate them, we prep them, maybe need to raise, you know, um, and, and there's no limit on how much we want to raise, but we know dealing with minorities in the beginning, it's not going to be like anything crazy uh, or whatnot, but we educate them and we shift in their mindset. You know, you, I know you want to sell candles. But what about if we get your candles in Target or in Walmart and these other, like, that? how can we scale this business? So along with educating, we're also going to be prepping their mindset because, you know, you want to be, the, the days of just you being a sole proprietorship and you doing everything, we got to get our people to understand that we got to expand beyond that. So you come on our platform, 
we raised the capital, but before you come on here, you kind of branded yourself. We see that you're marketing. We see you putting a little sweat equity into your own business. Why should we invest in you if you haven't invested in yourself? You know, we raised a little fund. We get your business going. Now you're seeing some, some results, right? You're getting some uh, traction. And then our VCs, they come back. And this same company that wasn't maybe established before, they come back and it's like, wow. They like they, be they may be ready for another round of, of, of funds or whatnot. And then that's when we could come in and work together because now we're growing these companies. We get our founders to think on a larger scale to where they can get to the VC angel investor level to, you know, raising, you know, those funds on that level. So I think it'd be a great partnership. Uh, we've been able to relay that message to our uh, VC partners that we've um, recently spoken to, and it's been well-received. Um, it's definitely been um, well-received. What type of sectors are we looking at when it comes to these companies that are looking to join join up with your company and, and learn from you and get that education? Is it open to all sectors or is there a specific sectors that are more advantageous for this type of model? Um, I, for the most part, we're open. Um, obviously tech, um, but the, the, the ideal is um, we're open to all sectors, but it just has to be unique. It's like you can't have like a mom and pop shops where you're doing the same thing everybody else doing, and then you want to come on and it's like only. And we talked about this um, because at the end of the day, we feel like there's still a need for mom and pop shops because they're the mm -hmm. backbones of the communities. Um, so one of the things we was considering, or not even considering, but we were just talking about uh, of doing is, you know, if you have that that restaurant that you are already you know, established in the community and you want to raise capital. Well, what we would suggest to a person like that is franchise. You know, you have this one restaurant, you work alone, you know, you got two or three employees. How about raising capital to franchise and start another restaurant in another community where you can employ your own people to work in those and that, that your, your restaurant. But, you know, things like that, we wouldn't have worked because again, our model is building minority businesses to scale. If you're not building something to scale or grow where you're able to, you know, create something unique product or you're able to create an opportunity where you're employing people or you're not looking to raise, you know, uh, bring in six figure, seven figure revenue, then it's like you're just a regular mom and pop shop. And it's like, that's really not what our main focus, focus is on. So sectors is open. Yeah. Open. But yeah, but tech for sure, you know, the, the SaaS and FinTech because <laughs> we, we, cause, but the thing is, is that when the average person look up at like the billionaires, right? And they see the same, you know, the Jeff Bezos, the Mark Zuckerbergs and, and the who's who, you know, in, in the tech world. And the tech world is relatively new. However, we want to know, like, we want people to understand that we have minority geniuses just as well, right? Mm -hmm. The one, uh, the, the, Af the African kid that helped Nipsey hustle uh, with his store, and he's done some background work, software work for um for some of these uh, large tech companies. Well, we have some of these same people with these same ideas. They just didn't have access to Silicon Valley, uh, Valley like a lot of people. They're from the hood, you know. Mm -hmm. But so we have a lot of minorities that have those same brilliant ideas, but they just don't have access to those resources that allow a Facebook to go from the dorms to where it's at now, and and all these guys. Um, you know, uh, Tesla and all these companies. We have people that have those same uh, brilliant ideas, but our goal is to kind of, you know, reach out to them. We help them grow and scale, okay? I just put a post the other day, uh, yesterday, it's over 2,093 billionaires, and out of that number, only like 15 of them are uh, black, okay? Mm. Because, they, so that's, that, that hit tough. I'm like, wow. But then you go on social media and it's kind of like, and there's nothing against it, but you know, a lot of people are kind of doing some of the same things. Yeah. So let's study what the lead are doing. And one yeah. of my, one of my sayings is if you could just duplicate 1% of the multi-billionaires, then you still above what everybody else is doing. So exactly. think on a larger scale, scaling up. So this is where we come in at with our minorities. Like, Hey, look, I see what you're doing. We love it. The mom and pop, that's the backbone of the community, uh, the minority business community. However, Who's like who's to say that we can't have people that's up there in the, in the, in the upper stratosphere just like the rest of these guys? We're just yeah. as capable. We're more than just being the best athletes or whatnot, the best basketball players, the best football. We're better than just that. And then in these fields, if they could pay me 10 years, $500 million, well, how much are they making? So right. we want to be the ones that's writing those checks. 
So this is where we come in at. Let's let's raise this capital and let's get your business to that level. Or let's start thinking on that level. You want to open up a taxi business? Well, yeah, um, um, Warren Buffett owns, um, you know, Geico or TurboTax, well, whichever one of those he owns. <laughs> Look at what he did and model your business after that, right? Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Whether he franchised or he licensed that out, Look at that model and look to scale your business. We get, you know, we get one or two barbershops or one or two tax businesses and we good, right? So let's get more people to think on the scale of, it's okay to go for six, seven figures a month, as opposed to if I make a hundred thousand a year, then I'm, it's like, let's think larger. There's nothing wrong with thinking larger, regardless of what people try to make, make it seem like or make people feel uh, like we're doing that. So this is where we come in at. Let's raise these funds let's take that business to another level or think of businesses that we can scale to that next level because we can do it, right? Like we have the same capabilities. It's just, we're growing to play sports and rapping and all that. That's, you know, look at one, um, Tyler Perry, right? He just became a billionaire. So what did he do to reach that level? We got a lot of people in living color that had their own shows, but what did he do? He owned all his stuff, right? Nick Cannon got kicked off that station because he don't own it. And now he's, he want to sue them for something that he don't own. So those days, no, look what Tyler Perry did. This is the blueprint. He's a billionaire. We watched him become a billionaire in our own, like right before our own eyes, from his first stage play to now. Let's follow that model. Let's own what it is we're doing and let's scale and grow it. And he still provide quality content. So this is what we want to bring to it. So we want to we, we we love the mom and pops, but let's let's take it to that, that next level. So, so we go IPO and get bought up by private equity firms. And this is where we come in at. Let's talk about that next level. So mm-hmm. we, we just posted today on Black Equity Network on Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead of posting, you know, Tyler Perry is a billionaire, I wanted to post the numbers so people okay. can actually understand the uh, portfolio. Mm-hmm. So you have $280 million towards studio. That's, mm-hmm. that's the value of the studio. $60 yeah. million, uh, with his contract with BET, which is also... He also owns the app, uh, BET Plus, whatever the app is now with BET. He, he owns 50% right. of that. Uh, personal assets, $40 million, whatever that you know, means. Mm-hmm. Media rights, $320 million. And then investments in cash, $300 million. And that all equals up to a total wealth of a billion dollars. So when I say that out to Crowd Wall Street, mm-hmm. uh, I think you're the perfect person. You're the first person or first group of people that I've spoken to since this news has come out. What are your thoughts when you hear those numbers and especially on the private equity side? Um, what are your thoughts? What are your reflections to that? And how does, how does all that relate to your mission and your vision? Go ahead, Tia. <laughs> <This is awesome. laughs> man, that's, that's man. I love it, man. Assets. Mm-hmm. We have to understand we have to invest in income producing assets. So like we like we discussed, when people become billionaires and millionaires, of course, it's on paper, you know, because they own assets. And I think we don't have a lot, we don't have enough ownership that goes on in our community. We're more consumers than being owners. So when you look at Tyler Perry, everything that he did was strategic. Mm-hmm. You know, even even comparing him to not comparing him, but even talking about because me and Jen talking about Warren Buffett yesterday. Warren Buffett does not own 100 percent of all his portfolio. He may have a small percentage of a billion dollar company. Right. So he may, have, you know, 10 percent of this company, but he diversify his assets. So when you're talking about crowdfunding and crowd Wall Street, in reality, this is what we're generating because that let's go back. Facebook, Tesla, you know, all these companies we were just talking about. When these companies went, um, before these companies went public, um, they had wealthy individuals that had a percentage of, of ownership for these companies. Right. So when these companies went public, you know, of course, the crowd, you know, we hopped in early, bought some stocks, and we happy because, you know, we, we got in early, we went, and now there's no way to go but up. But in reality, the wealthy investors who already – got in at the early stages, created their wealth. Like mm-hmm. they made money 300, 400% times what we made today with, you know? So it's like now if you, if you take that mindset and you get that minority founder, that black founder who has this great idea and come on a crowdfunding platform and offer equity to our people. Mm-hmm. Now 
when you're talking about group economics and you're talking about creating wealth and you're talking about generational wealth, the more we contribute to this, this black founder who has this great idea, the more he scales, the more he move up, the more assets this company owns, the more you know accomplishments this company owns. Guess what? The people who invested in that company and had a small percentage of that equity. Side note, so from an investor point of view, right? I just said one company, right? So -hmm. just imagine that what I'm getting ready to go with, imagine that same thing is happening with 20 other companies. Right. Now throughout the five, 10 year span, 20 companies that you invested, 100, 5,000, 1,000, 10,000, these 20 companies spread across and these companies do well, guess what? Now the same thing you just mentioned, the numbers you just mentioned with with, um, Tyler Perry can happen to us now. Because now these companies that's being successful and bringing in revenues and acquiring assets and doing these different things, guess what? I got a percentage in every last company and I'm not working for it. Now I'm generating, you know, wealth. I'm, I'm, I'm creating a, a, a diversified portfolio where now my kids' kids can, can look up to. My kids' kids can eat off of If I have to cash out and buy my own, you know, business or whatever the case may be, I have that access to do it. So when you look at those numbers, to me now, it's possible that every last person can do that because now we have access to capital. We have access to crowd Wall Street to, you know, start our own, you know, media company, to start our own uh, whatever company you want to be, have access to. Media, yeah, whatever it is. So when you look at those numbers, it's like, it's it's amazing because he acquired assets. And then like Jamsky said, this is a blueprint because like, like we just discussed before we got on this call, many of us don't understand that you know you don't really have to start a business if you yeah. you can buy one. Yep. <laughs> you could buy a company where you can you know instead of you know building you could just buy it. So a lot of these big time players, if you really look at their portfolio, it's just not really based on like we would look at Facebook and say you know Mark Zuckerberg owns Facebook, but when you look at the portfolio, he owns other companies. Right. Which makes, you know, they're they're both on to Facebook. So that's the game. That is the game. And so that's really one of our our phase three of Crowd Wall Street is teaching people the game on the opportunities that's out there for us. (laughs) It's crazy, man. Listen, listen, it ain't that many people that's that's wearing this skin color that's talking about this stuff. We've been like, and the funny thing about it, me and Jansky been in, several Facebook groups and we didn't even know each other. So <laughs> what is that? These <laughs> mergers and acquisition groups. Uh-huh. One of the groups, me and another guy founded the group because we're trying to bring awareness that it's an opportunity out there. But the people who's killing the game, a lot of people in Europe, yeah. a lot of these white mm-hmm. folks, they killing it. So it's like that's what I was saying on on the, <laughs> on the episode. If y'all knew the people that were in my email and in my inbox, it's very very rarely that it's a black VC in America. It wow. is typically uh, European, yeah. Chinese, or Asian, Australia. Australia, they ready. They ready. So, hey. Singapore. And I'm like, yo, and they're like, yo, I want to be on the podcast. I want to, I want to, uh, you know, get my message out. But then when I reach out to black VCs, and I'm so glad that you're having a different experience. Mm-hmm. When I reach out to black American VCs, they're like, yeah, when I have the time. I'm like, wow, what's going on? But That's you're providing value. So they may, they may treat you differently than how they may see me. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think that's the truth because I, I assume we'd have dealt with the same restriction, um, but I think because we're we're providing value to them, mm-hmm. there was more receptible. And to add to that, um, I still received some restriction, but more so from the male VCs versus female VCs. Oh man, female VCs, to me, my experience, they own it. You know, they when I reached it. out to to have that conversation, hey, let's do it. For the men. And what it is it, I, territory, I, I, territorial? I, I, I guess. I don't know what it is. I mean, okay. to be honest, and I, another thing, too, I, I realized, too, I think for the most part, a lot of these VCs, they're still new to the game, too. Yeah. And, um, you know, because you just not seeing a lot of VC firms being birthed 
you know, due to this Black Lives Matter and, you know, right. it's, it's right now everybody's on the wave of That's true. doing stuff. So a lot of VCs that I, that we even, you know, talk to, they're new to the game. They're still trying to learn it. So it's like, I think they don't know the direction. Then on top of that, like you said, I think, you know, the fact that the moment you go on LinkedIn and on your profile, you put investor or VC, you're going to get tons of inboxes. And yeah. I remember I made that mistake and I put investor on my LinkedIn. I had inboxes from left to right. People sending, oh me, people sending me emails. So it's like, it can get overwhelming to the point where, you know, DJ, you send me an email, like, listen, I ain't got time to open it. Yeah. So, right. It's a matter of approaching it. And that, I mean, this is something that I will share with, you know, with the listeners as well. One of my tactics, what I did that worked is before I actually inbox most of the VCs that I inbox, I actually followed them and I actually started communicating with them through their, through their posts. So when they post, right. you know, I would uh, comment, you know, I would tag their name and I would just try to create that that uh, awareness and then the fact that you know on my my profile you know it says crowdfunding it says you know business advisor and things of that nature so obviously when they see my comment they see a couple titles right. so they know it's like if i inbox you i'm not really asking for money it's like you see what i'm doing we kind of in the same space so yeah. i think for the most part that really helped me out as well what, so let's go through these phases, because on phase one, we were talking about rewards. Phase two, we're talking about equity, or maybe I have it mixed up. Can we just walk through each phase? And I really want to know about these rewards and what it really means, and then just walk through the other phases as well and, and what's inside of those. And either so, one of you can, can speak. Okay. Oh. You oh, to, uh, yeah, I'll go. Yeah. So uh, basically, so the, the first phase is, um, is rewards. So what is rewards and, you know, what, what does it allow you to do? Well, rewards is typically for the startups in a sense that they probably recently, recently just started their business. Or, you know, they just had an idea and they, you know, they kind of turned into reality. And maybe they've had some success with their immediate family and maybe a couple of friends that's really filling in or whatnot. Maybe they got some sales online, but they like, well, you know, I need a little more money or a little bit more exposure to kind of take my business to that next level. But I'm seeing success right now. But the way I'm doing it may take a long time. I want to kind of, you know, kind of spearhead it or whatnot. So then, you know, that's rewards. So now, when they come on our platform, our investors will not get a percentage of the company per se. However, uh, let's say this is um, a company like a Netflix. Maybe they had an idea like a Netflix or some kind of TV streaming platform or whatnot. And they typically charge $20 a month. Well, if one of our uh, backers, with one of our backers or investors invest in this uh, said company, maybe they get a discount. Okay, hey, well, you know what? We normally charge $20 uh, a month for this package and whatnot, our top package. But because you're a backer in this company, you're only going to get charged $5. Okay, and maybe you get uh, extra discounts on other perks that we offer. Or maybe you just get some extra perks thrown in there because you're a backer. So that's how rewards work. Now, this company is gaining traction and it's really like, okay, this is really going to be something major, right? And it's like, but we need the extra funding because now we're growing, but we need some employees. You know, we got to do payroll and all that stuff like that. We need to raise another round, but a little bit more serious of a, a, a round, round or whatnot. And then that's where the equity would come in, right? The second, the second phase as far as uh, equity. And now, this is where the angel investors and the VCs that come in because, you know, they're looking for something that's, that already has some potential, but they see that this can really be the next big thing or whatnot or mm -hmm. close to the next big thing and eventually being bought out by a private equity firm or IPO because, you know, the VCs, though, they see like some kind of exit or possibility of that. So they invest in a company. They own a percentage of the company, uh, said company. Um, or whatnot, and now they able to provide their expertise. We see what you have going on. Now that we're on the board, this is some things. Oh, okay, you know what? I have a connect over here in this country that that have access to this right here, or you know, I got connects to this person. Now they bring these VCs and angel investors. You know, they got equity. So because they have equity, then it behooves them to help this company grow in any way they see fit. Like, hey, I can add value in this department. Hey, I see you doing it like this, but. My man's over here. He can help you do it like this. So I have experience in doing this. This can help this uh, side of company. And then you grow on it. So now we get this company doing numbers and maybe a private equity firm is well established 
But that missing link they have is the company that these VCs and angel investors invested in. Yep. And they like, you know what? We want to acquire this company. We want to buy this company from you guys. And then that's the exit strategy for our private equity firms. And I mean, yeah, for the VCs, I mean, for the, uh, the VCs or whatnot to get bought out. Uh, you know, as of lately, it's been a little bit harder for companies to go IPO. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that. So, you know, um, what's been happening lately is a lot of private, uh, a lot of private equity firms or other companies have been buying the smaller companies, i.e. Um, a Facebook buying Instagram, right? To kind of integrate it and merge it into what they have going on to scale their company even better and increase their valuation. And then we also, we roll out the, um, the, the rehab, the real estate side of things where, you know, people can invest in sad projects that you may have going on, uh, to y'all could, uh, speak to that. And then the last phase is the, um, the private equity, as far as, um, buying other companies, using your company to, you know, do other things, but to you, you can kind of touch up on that as well. Yeah. So just going back to the rewards base and one of the key things we try to open our eyes up to people is because we, we we had this and that's why I, I bring it up now because some people that I don't see in comments that say oh I don't want to you know do rewards because I don't get no benefit from it right to me it's, that's the wrong mentality to have number one number two if you really think about it we do rewards based crowdfunding every day you know we go to McDonald's we go to Burger King we go to Walmart we go to Publix we go to Dixie we go to Auto Parts we go to all these different businesses and back these companies up regardless whether we see it or not. Cause the more, who are we, we spend our money with, we, we backing that company up, we helping that company. But in return, we get a reward for our money, which is, you know, we might get some hot cakes. We might get a, a, a car part, whatever. That's the rewards. So the mm-hmm. idea is we do it every day to companies that for the most part don't support our community. And for the most part, you know, you making somebody else wealthy. So when we talk about rewards base, it's another way because we do it with GoFundMe. You know, when having funerals and things, we don't get no rewards, really considered a donation. Right. So yeah. the rewards base, like Jensky said, is really at that, that beginning stage where we're giving that, that entrepreneur that extra push to get going. And the equity part, you know, not only as VCs, but also the same backers, like, like Jensky said, that same founder who, you know, raised that first pre-seed round and now when they come back and offer equity, those same backers can come back and now invest and share the equity portion inside that, that as well. Now on the real estate part, um, group economics again, man, because again, we know a lot of, you know, developers and a lot of people that's, you know, trying to do wholesaling and try to, you know, get their feet wet in the real estate game. So now it's an opportunity where now they can come on our platform and raise capital to buy their first rental property or buy their first, you know, apartment complex. Because now the thing is, for the most part, somebody who's starting off in the real estate game or maybe have one or two deals, their network maybe is only in their facility, which is if you're from Miami, you only have a network in that little town. If you're from, mm-hmm. you know, New York or Alabama or Atlanta, you have that small pool of people you can probably reach. But now you can come on our platform to raise capital to buy an apartment building, but now you have access to people that's in, you know, New York, New Jersey, Alabama, North Carolina, and everybody's on the same page because everybody want to find that opportunity where they can put their money to work, where they're investing in assets. So the real estate part, to add to that, we're also in connections to doing partnership with people in Africa and Ghana. They already like, we've been having meet, my first meet with them was last Saturday. So not only are we doing this thing locally, but we're doing it internationally and globally. So mm-hmm. now we can be able to participate and invest in uh, project developments in, in Ghana and in, in Africa and things of that nature. And then, you know, the phase three is really what we're getting into uh, mergers and acquisitions. Um, we're really going to start, you know, creating a, a way where our people will have access to, to, to capital where they can start buying businesses. To include, um, one of the things I was gonna say, oh, going back to our conversation with franchises, that's another avenue we're gonna start working on too because we realized, especially looking at you know the, 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 the data and the numbers, um, a lot of our people are employed by franchises. Franchises, you know, are the backbone of our communities as well. 
but a lot of us don't really own these franchises. So now, um, another look at franchises is, you know, not every franchise is the same because some franchises are owner operated, which means you have to work the business. But just speaking to something like that, franchises can be a great way for people who's looking to start a business, who want to tap into the small business world or entrepreneurship because it's less uh, restriction, right, to already, you know, get get into a franchise that already have the blueprint. All you have to do is follow the steps and now you get your feet wet on how to actually run a business versus actually start from scratch. So one of the three main problems that, you know, that as we face as black entrepreneurs is number one, access to capital. Number two, marketing strategy, and number three, management skills. So because of that, you know, a lot of these black businesses don't last that long. And so when you're talking about a franchise, now you're able to get those, you know, those three things, well, maybe two things, the management and uh, the marketing strategy, but now it comes to, okay, I want to buy Sonic, so I want to buy 7-Eleven, or I want to buy, you know, the next McDonald's Burger King, but I have the experience of whatever working in, you know, that type of industry, but I don't have the capital. Now I can go on crowd Wall Street and say, hey, I'm looking to buy Sonics in this community. I need, you know, $500,000. Now this is the, 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 the key to this. If I'm looking to buy a, a, a Sonics or whatever in the community and I need to raise $500,000 just to say, to purchase this franchise in our community. The power of that is now I come on the platform, I raise $500,000 equity. All these individuals that's on this platform gets to participate and invest in buying this company. Now I end up buying this 7-Eleven in the community. And guess what? The people in the community is invested in that 7-Eleven. So the more I go to that 7-Eleven and put gas in my car, or go buy a hot dog, or get a slushy. guess what? I'm participating in the revenue stream of that company. So the more successful I make 7-Eleven, the more my equity value is in that community. Now you're talking about creating that ecosystem. Now you're talking yeah. about building generational wealth, because now I can tell my son and daughter, like, hey, baby, we have ownership in that company. Mm-hmm. I forgot what movie it was, but it was a rich white family that was driving down the street. It was him and his wife and his two kids, and they was just driving. And basically the husband was telling the kids like, look, we own that. We got a piece of that. We own that. And the kid was like, so you own all of that? It's like, yeah, like driving down the street. Can we say the same thing? We in our own community, but we don't own anything. We got the Jewish, we got the Asians, we got the Chinese coming to our community, but we don't own nothing. They own (laughs) it in our community. And the moment we see money in their community, they taking that money back to their country to help out their people. Yeah, so yeah. that's why the money don't circulate in our community aspect as long. And, and one more thing, uh, DJ, I know I'm kind of off topic or whatnot in a sense, but just real briefly, you think about um, one, if we own the, the, if we own the businesses in our community, you don't think that would help the crime rates, right? So imagine mm-hmm. if you and your friend went in on this, uh, this deal or you and your cousin or you and your auntie, well, your friends are going to be more inclined to, Hey, now nah, we can't do that here because my, my boy uh, people's own that, right? Or my cousin own that, right? Exactly. So now you're talking about, so think about it on a scale, on a, on a larger scale of things, the more we own in our communities, the lesser the crime rates um, are, right? The lower the crime rates become because now it was like, oh, nah, that's, that's, that's my, my, my aunt's spot. Oh, that's my uncle or my, my best friend and his mom, they own that. So you're going to be more, you know, inclined to be more aware of what's going on in the community because you own it. And I think with minorities, we have this, this thing in our mind where this is my hood, this my set, this my building, all that. But we're saying that because we've been standing for 30 years, right? right but right. we don't really own it. We've been rent So because we rent something for so long and we be claiming these hoods, whether it's game bangers or whoever it is, yeah, this my set, this my hood. But then these people come here and buy up all this and kick you out. And then we see who really owns the hood, right? It's like, well, we're going to come here and buy all this and kick y'all out. Are we going to see who really own the hood? And now you complain about gentrification and all that, whereas if we understand how group economics work and how we can pull our funds together, how we can crowd our funds, hence crowdfunding, and acquire these said businesses, then we can really say that we own this. You know, so now we can really say we own something. So that's just like my little piece of how 
you know, understanding how crowdfunding works can help the community in that sense. And a lot of people don't talk about it like that, but we're thinking on a larger scale of things, man. We be hyped about this, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love oh, man. it. Listen, man. Listen, man. We, 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 so we it's more about us, but you no, know, just the community, building our minority communities. Definitely. That's 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 the game, man. We listen. Education, education is our is our that's our philosophy. This just, education. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Again, like when we when we previously when we first start talking, mm -hmm. you know, like we both from, from Miami, man, and that's one of our, our main things too, man, is bring Silicon Valley to Miami. Miami. You know, we yes, know sir. we have we have the, the the entrepreneurs, we have the the Bill Gates, we have the Warren Buffett right in our own backyard. It's yeah. just you need somebody to birth it out of them. We need them like yeah. again, like he just said, you know, come both of us been, you know, came from the hood, been born and raised in the hood. And you know, a lot of those people, those these kids today, that's all they know. Either I'm born in the hood, all I know is football, all I know is basketball, but then it's like it's a youth that I took to mm -hmm. West Palm Beach. To them, it was, wow. Right. To me, it was West Palm Beach. But to them, <laughs> that was a whole different world. Yeah. A whole different world. So it's like, you know, at the end of the day, there, there's a need and that need to be filled. And I know for a fact, Crowd Wall Street gonna fill it. And we wanna be the go-to platform for the minorities today and the minorities for tomorrow to be able to have access to capital. No longer saying I can't get a bank loan. No longer said I right. can't I can't raise capital. No longer I, I can't say uh I don't know how to start my business or I just need help. No, all that going out the door. Crowd Wall Street is still, you know, we killing all the excuses. We making it happen. We want to make an impact. I'm definitely excited uh for everything you're doing. And before we let people know where they can go, how they can collaborate, how they can work with you. I wouldn't feel right if I didn't ask this question. What is the best Black-owned restaurant in Miami today? Where, if I touch down in Miami, where do I need to go? And maybe it's two or three, but where do I need yeah. to go in Miami uh, that's Black-owned? Or maybe it's just a restaurant that's dope, but where do I need to go? I would say... You got you got to check check out Sundays. You got to check, check out Sundays. Chick Daddy, Chick Daddy owns that. Shout out to Chick Daddy. You got to check out Sundays. Yes, All sir. Right. Fry right. ribs. Yeah, fry ribs. You got uh, finger licking is is always hitting. If you come out of town, you come to Miami, you got to stop by finger licking. DJ Khaled and um, what's his name? I can't think. Of his, what's what's his name? Um, E Class. Yeah, DJ Khaled, E Class. Um, they own those. So you got to go to uh, Miami finger licking. You got to go to Sundays by Trick Daddy. And you got to go to Chef Creole, man. Shout out to all my Zos. You got to go to Chef Creole. He's, <laughs> he, you know, he's another guy. He's licensed and he's franchising himself. He's the first uh, minority uh, restaurant to be in an um, airport. Right? So nice. he's in the airport. He's in one of the nice. terminals. So he must, I think it might be like three locations. Um, don't quote me on it. Mm -hmm. But this is what we're talking about. You know, thinking on that, on that sense. So yeah, those are three spots that's like, and I'm sure there's others or whatnot, but those you like got the ones that stand out. You got a restaurant called Lovelies. They they're they're a small mom and pop. They got a you know they got a restaurant, a food truck. Um, food is right in Miami Gardens, but they yes. they call Murder Gardens. <laughs> right. My thing is this: wouldn't and no no offense to my West Coast people, no offense, but wouldn't <laughs> we want Silicon Valley? The idea so Silicon Valley to be in Miami isn't that a better location? No offense. Exactly. Come on, man. Come on. Like, sir, listen. Me and TL talk about this all the time. They come to Miami for the clubs and yes. the strip clubs and the beaches and the shopping and you know the high rises and the penthouses and the the yachts and all that. So just imagine if you bring Silicon Valley to Miami, right? Um, you think about this is what I think about. The only reason, um our white counterparts are like killing the game is because we don't necessarily have a, a but it, as of lately, we have a chameleonaire and a couple of athletes that's retired or whatnot that's in the space, but mm -hmm. we didn't really have an outlet to get into that space. But much like football back in the day where it wasn't a lot of black football players, but once we got in, we seen what happened. Right. We think about the NBA was two totally different leagues. And then once it was integrated, well, we who the top 10 players in the league, you know what I'm saying? So right. if we do that with baseball, we do this with soccer, whatnot, 
if most because you know we play football, but imagine how many baseball players we would be having if a lot of athletes was like, you know what, I'm gonna take my talents today. I ain't get to the NFL. Well, I'm good at baseball. You see what I'm saying? Right, so right. this applies to the business space too. If more minorities get into the the tech world or the Wall Street world or whatnot, oh my God, you don't think we'll kill that too? Right. We're just as smart. It's just that we're raised to play sports and we just happen to excel like sports. However, we're just yeah. as you know, uh, uh, inclined mentally as anybody else. So we want to bring that to Miami, right? You ain't got to go to Silicon Stanford and all that. You ain't got to do all that, man. You can come to Miami. Y'all enjoy y'all women and all that, but we also do business out here too. And look, the state of Florida is no state taxes. Stop playing. Come on, come over here to Florida. <laughs> I might have to come make that move. Gardens, I might have to you know? make that move. Hey, um, think about it. You you had the best of both worlds. You have the beach life, the party life, and you got the business life. So oh, I think for exactly. the most part, you know, Miami is known for the tourist attraction and vacation and yeah. stuff like that. But we have a lot of business acumen in Miami too. So it's like that's one of our goals is to to reveal that aspect of Miami. Like we more than just coming down to go to the clubs and go to the beach, but we have some technology and business savvy people here as well. Well, yeah. you know, I, I'm, East Coast. I'm East Coast. I'm in Charlotte. So it's a lot more advantageous for me to go down to Miami than to fly uh, across the the, the entire right. country. Yeah. Uh, so where can people go to learn learn more about Crowd Wall Street, to interact with your, your company, to uh, register their company to be part of your ecosystem, if they're a VC to be part of your ecosystem? How does everybody... Uh, get plugged in? Well, first and foremost, um, they can join our Facebook group. We have a private Facebook group that we go live every Sunday. Um, and tonight, um, we're starting our first crowd, Wall Street Entrepreneurs, where we're actually highlighting entrepreneurs that's coming out with great ideas or unique products or services. So tonight at 7 o'clock. So the first thing I would say, join our Facebook group. Um, crowd Wall Street group is on Facebook. Um, secondly, you know, create an account, free account on our website, www.crowdwallstreet.com. Um, and the first thing I would say after creating an account, hop into Crowd Wall Street University. Crowd Wall Street University is an educational uh, platform that we have where we, you know, we teach you the basis on crowdfunding from an investor, a backer standpoint, and also from an entrepreneur standpoint. So that'll help get your mind to understanding, you know, how to create a campaign, how to start a campaign and, you know, the do's and don'ts and things of that nature. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, um, Crowd Wall Street, and that's on all platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Crowd Wall Street. Um, myself at TLW.TheBusinessMan. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Tavares L. Williams. That's on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, and then you can shoot, shoot me an email if you're an aspiring entrepreneur or you know, uh, business owners that's looking to raise capital, you just need guidance and help. You can send me an email at tlwilliams at crowdwallstreet.com. Um, uh, yeah, for me, um, uh, yeah, so you got a crowd on um, Crowd Wall Street platforms. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, uh, CEO underscore J French and 1804Lifestyle uh, is my, um, my handles on those on Instagram and Facebook. And as well as on LinkedIn, CEO underscore J French and 1804 Lifestyle. And I have a Carrot City Capital, which would be my uh, investment fund uh, holding company that I'm going to be launching pretty soon. Uh, that would you know, coincide with um, Crowd Wall Street. So uh, Carrot City Capital on um, Instagram, going to be launching that pretty soon. And uh, yeah, that's it. CEO underscore J French, uh, 1804 Lifestyle and Carrot City Capital. Well, you know, we are launching another podcast called How to Acquire. So when you launch your, your fund and you start acquiring, we would love for you to come on How to Acquire podcast and talk about the, the details of an acquisition, um, how to acquire in your particular sector, and then also how we can join you on the acquisition side. Uh, but until then, this is an opportunity for business owners to really get into the flow of funding to the flow of resources. And I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk on the early stages because I look forward to talking to you in a year, two years, three years and keep in touch. So then we can get the message out uh, so we can follow and document what's going on. We may be able to sit down in Miami and have a conversation. Oh man. Well, that's what I envision 
you know, being a strategic partner uh, in the media space to work alongside you. So thank you both for coming on Black Equity. I appreciate you. Thanks for having us, DJ. And uh, we plan on opening up a facility in Miami. So you'll definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, hopefully next year or maybe the year after, but we plan on opening up a, um, a facility for founders and, you know, the college and high school students who want to get in this space and understand how it works. Kind of like what Nipsey also did with uh, out here in um, LA with Vector 90 right. and allow, you know, kids and youth to come in at a young age and, you know, hop on their laptops and, and, and get to work and understand and, and get into the space. So that'd be a part of us bringing um, Silicon Valley to Silicon Beach in Miami. <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm definitely down for Silicon Beach. I'm all in on it. Uh, thank you again, uh, Crowd Wall Street, for coming on Black Equity Podcast. And we'll be talking to you again soon. My man. Thanks right. for having me. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. Hopefully you... Uh, were met with as much wisdom as I was. If you're interested in working with today's guests, send us an email over at blackequitynetwork at gmail.com or to connect with any guests in the past. If you want a personal introduction, make sure you sign up for our premium services where you'll get episodes like this early, uh, early access. So you can be one of the first ones to reach out to us and we can do a personal introduction because you want to be one of the people in our network that knows the people that we know. And we don't want to have any barriers to that, but we do want to make sure we're introducing the right people. So this has been a really great episode. I've learned a lot from these two gentlemen and I hope, hopefully you have too. And uh, we may have them back on very, very soon, Uh, but let us know uh, what you thought and uh, make sure you subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to uh, this episode at. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at Black Equity Network uh, on Instagram. And if you are interested and you want your company to be part of our um, our network of, of uh, correspondence that goes out, make sure you sign up for our portal. And you can find that over on Instagram as well. That way your company can create a profile and be part of the flow of information that is coming out. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in today, and I'll see you on the next episode of Black Equity Podcast.